I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the The Flight Flight Safety Safety Detectives. Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host, John, has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GO Team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, hello, my friend. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives coming to our audience from Daytona Beach, Florida at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, home of the Eagles, and it just happens to be my alma mater. We are very fortunate that Embry-Riddle invited us on campus. They didn't have a problem with you, but I think they had a problem with me coming back, John. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah, thank you very much. It's always nice to be back. I've been fortunate enough to come down here on a very regular basis to give the students safety presentations, both in a general audience as well as talk in individual classes. And I'm I'm also fortunate because I do some teaching down here as well at both the Daytona and the Prescott campus. So it's just amazing to me. Every time I come down to this university, I see how it's grown. I see what the students have available to them. And man, I'll tell you, I wish I had what they have now when I was in school because I would have been magna cum laude. I mean, the resources down here, the faculty, staff, I mean, in the facilities are second to none. While it is expensive to go to this university, I think the education that folks come out of here with, not only on the pilot side, but on the maintenance side and business side, because they are a very diverse university now, I think is uh, a testament to the leadership and at least the thought moving forward, that futuristic thought of how do we make the uh, university better, especially in times when aviation, as we've seen in the past, has tanked and then has come back and then tanked again. And we saw a little bit of that downturn during this COVID period. So what do you think, John? Oh, I love the school. I love the university. I agree with you. The uh, quality of the facilities and, and what's available to the students is unbelievable. I would not mind having got my education down here as well. I would have rather enjoyed it. But, you know, we can't turn the clock back as much as we'd like to. Yeah, but I think when you were in school getting the education, weren't you still reading off of stone tablets and stuff? Yeah, we had to chisel them in ourselves. <laughs> yep. Oh, yes. Oval was one of my instructors. Yes. And Wilbur said I was never amount to anything. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> well, I always needed a sidekick on this show. At least you amounted to that. That's what I love about doing the show with you. So we are very fortunate to have a guest on today who happens to be a student here at Embry-Riddle, a freshman, 
and a young man that I've been fortunate enough to know for a while. I want to say that I'm mentoring him, but if he's smart, he'll never he'll never admit to that. But we wanted to give our audience a, a perspective of the day in the life of a freshman here at Embry-Riddle. So I hope that our younger members of our audience, at least this enlightens them, gives them a little insight. And if you are thinking about coming down to Embry-Riddle as a student, maybe this will help you navigate through some of the ups and the downs so that you don't have to deal with them. So we're very fortunate to have Tony with us as our guest. And before we go forward with our interviews, I'd like to remind our audience that this show was brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. If you need hull insurance, instructor's insurance, any kind of aviation, general aviation insurance, give Avemco a call. The number is 888-879-0389. Again, 888-879-0389. Or you can get them on the web at avemco.com. Nice people. So if you listen to the show, let them know that you're a listener and you'll get a 5% discount. And that's not too shabby just for listening to us. Not when it comes to the price of insurance these days. So every little bit helps. They have a number of different programs that you can take online. There are courses that are great information. You pass the course and um, you get a discount as well. So I've had a, a Bemco insurance in my life. For quite a long time, they've insured a couple of my airplanes, and hopefully going forward, they'll be insuring my latest little venture as soon as I get the airplane in shape to fly. So definitely, if you're looking for insurance, contact Avemco Insurance. With that, let's move forward. Well, John, we are at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach. It is uh, fortunate for us that the weather is nice. The sun is out. It's a nice balmy 70, 80 degrees compared to whatever it is in Denver, 28 and snowing, and whatever it is in Boston. It's just cold, no snow. There you go. I'm glad I'm not shoveling snow, and I'm glad you're not shoveling whatever. So it's it's always good to be with you in person to do these shows. And we've had a gracious host at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. It's fortunately my alma mater and uh, home of the Eagles. And, of course, they've got a number of programs here. So it's the home of not only the flight side of flight training, but, of course, a very robust AMT training program. And I know that this is right up your alley. And fortunately, uh, we've had an opportunity to speak to faculty and students on the flight side and, and faculty on the, the maintenance side. And now we have on the show today, a couple of AMT students that we're going to get into and find out what it's like to be a student at Embry-Riddle on the AMT side. And while I'm just a pilot, you know, and John has some choice words for me as being a pilot. Um, Earned. Well, to an extent. I mean, you know, I have a reputation to uphold. But we want to know about what it's like to be a student in this program, what the future holds for you, and then how you view the future going forward into, quote, your real jobs once you leave the university. I'm going to start with, go Kate, for it. Katie Galen, and uh, how are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Very good. Very good. 
why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Where are you from? Why did you uh, choose aircraft maintenance? What influenced you? All right. So uh, I'm native here from Florida, Lake Mary, to be precise. My mom used to, or she still works for waste disposal companies. And so I used to walk through the maintenance shop. And so that's when I got introduced to maintenance itself. I didn't get used to aviation until about maybe my high school years when I um, started J-ROTC for the Air Force. And my sassy, Major Watts is his name, he actually used to be a, um, a professor here. He used to teach the ROTC kids here for the Air Force. And he was big, gung-ho, ember-riddle. You know, you got it forever an eagle. He lived up to that name. And so that's where I got my aviation background. So after that, I kind of fell in love with planes and wondering how they worked. When I came here originally, I wanted to be a pilot. But I'm like, you know, maybe maintenance hands-on. Let's go look at the other side. And that's when I saw aviation maintenance, talked to some of the professors, and it just clicked. You know, it's just one of those things that it just came hand in hand. Aviation and the maintenance side of me. It's just a love story, basically, to say the least. I love that passion, John. I, I do, too. That's awesome. And you're the maintenance guy. You know more than me, so go for it. All right. So how long have you been here? I've been here now for three years. And you're going to have you're going to leave with your degree? Yes. Obviously. I will be leaving here with a bachelor's degree and an area concentration of aircraft crash investigation, so the safety concentration, and a minor of avionics line maintenance. Okay. A wonderful career in front of you, young lady. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, my end game is to be um, an NTSB investigator. Me and my grandfather always watch, you know, the plane crash investigations on TV. I actually listen to you guys' podcast when I'm in my car. So it's always been something that I looked at at the end. probably right before you're ready to go to sleep. That helps you go to yeah, sleep. Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things, the calming, yeah. relaxing There voice, you go, you know, exactly. Just dreaming about plane crash investigations. <laughs> but that was always my end goal, the light at the end of the tunnel for me. And during the, at least the course of, of you going to school here, what has it been like to be in the AMT program, being exposed to it, because one of the things that John and I have talked about in the past and we talked about earlier with students because uh, we had two safety students, females, and that is female in a, in a male-dominated or at least perceived-dominated area of aviation. I would say don't count us out. Right now I'm seeing more girls come into classes and things like that. I used to be like one of the only females in my classes, and now I'm starting to see, oh, now there's two of us. Then two becomes three. And three becomes four. So now we're starting to see a big influx of females coming into aviation maintenance, which is a great thing. It's a great career for you guys to have. The outcome, like you guys said earlier, is you're never not going to have a job. That's the end of the day. If we're not here, the plane's not going to fly. And if the plane's not flying, the companies start losing money. Without us, there is no aviation at all. I mean, you got to think that at the end of the day, we're the last people to touch that aircraft, make sure it's fine. All right, so one of my proud moments at the aerospace uh, skills competition is the number of women that we get now. We've had all women teams from uh, FedEx, Canadian military, Pratt & Whitney sent a, an all-female team. It's just wonderful to see the changes that have been coming into the business. When I started the business, there was absolutely no women, none whatsoever. And I'm glad to see it. It has a, it has a, an effect on the business in more ways than just than many people realize. So I am thrilled, pickled, pink, pink, really, 
to think about the number of women that we're getting into this field. We use this show as, as an outreach besides all the other things that we do in dissecting accidents and talking aviation issues. And so from your perspective, what would you suggest to young women listening to this show with regard to pursuing a career or at least an education in aviation, aviation maintenance? Don't look at it as like just a job to get dirty. It's so much more than that. I mean, you got to think this aircraft weighs so much. How does it actually work? In aviation maintenance, you understand how that bird gets in the sky, how it gets from point A to point B safely. You understand exactly how the mechanisms of it works. I mean, I don't think I've ever learned so much besides being in aviation maintenance than I could ever learn to be a pilot. You get the gist of how to get the bird up in the air, but we learn how that engine actually works, how the hydraulics itself makes sure that the landing gear comes up and how we get the cabin air pressurized. You learn everything you can about that aircraft and how it works. Not just, oh, it takes off at this speed and then, oh, it's in the air. Oh, now we're coming to land. It's just really in-depth. That's where you truly learn how aviation works. And as part of your degree program, um, are you required to have an internship of some sort and, and that kind of thing? You're not required to have an internship. It's looked, it's really well to have one because you get that experience and you understand like, okay, so business corporation will be this way and then the airlines will be this way. You get the extra training that we can't provide you here at Embry-Riddle. So like you might work on this engine and you learn everything about that engine and how to fix it. So when you go out to the real world, you can be like, hey, I already know how to do this. You don't have to train me on it. You can brush up on my skills, but I got this added bonus. You don't have to pay for my training. A good basic education goes a long way in this business. It does. Because you're never going to be able to memorize everything on an airplane. But if you have a good basic level of skill, then you can certainly use the manuals and proceed. And one of the keys for maintenance and one of the things that has been identified by the FAA as one of the major problems is failure to follow procedures. In fact, uh, an old number, and I don't know what the current number is, but the old number from General Electric said that 50% of the air turnbacks, in other words, an airplane that has taken off and turned around and come back and landed again at the departure airport, 50% of those are caused by failure to follow the procedures that are in the manual. So people don't realize how much the written word dictates what mechanics do. And it's not a memory job. It's a job that you go to the paperwork because it is so complex and systems on different airplanes are different. Have you got anything lined up? Have you been, uh, you know, scouting out what your future is going to be like once you leave the university? Not really. I'm trying to figure out exactly where I want to be right now. I'm always open to opportunities. I always have been. I'm not going to just set myself up for airlines and then later on down the road realized that airlines didn't open their door for me, but maybe corporate business did. I'm always open. I've never really, I know I want to work on planes. That's it. That's all I ever wanted to do. That's all I want to do is just work on a plane. You sound like a lot of people that I know that, that have bitten by the aviation bug and they just, and nothing else exists. Yeah. I still look up to see the little Cessnas fly up in the sky here. I mean, they always fly by, but you always see all of us be like, wow, look at that Cessna go over. You know, it's just infectious. Like, everybody here has an aviation bug. That's what I love about it.
Well, we have another guest with us, another student, Noah Dan. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. You got to give us your backstory so we can then grill you on the front story. Sounds good. So uh, basically, I am a full-blooded Romanian that was fortunate enough to be born in the United States. My parents came over here in the 90s um, when things were going kind of south. Had me, then shortly after joined the Marine Corps, so I've always been around that kind of structure in my life. Basically, my father has been doing military aviation for almost 20 years now. Hmm. And I remember going into the hangar when I was a kid and seeing him work on those birds, uh, mainly helicopters, CH-53 Echoes to be exact. And that's when the bug kind of bit me. And then I grew up wanting to do aviation or aerospace engineering. And then as soon as I came to Riddle, that quickly changed. I started to see that the more hands-on side of things was in that little hidden quarter in the back of campus uh, called AMS. So went and talked to some great people, transferred over there. And ever since, I've been in love with everything. Uh, just like Teo was saying, everything about aviation is infectious. You just want to get your hands dirty and go out there and, and just work. Where are you in the program today? Uh, I'm currently a senior in the uh, maintenance management area of concentration. So it's basically you get your A&P. You also get some management and leadership, education and experience. And then I'm also minoring in avionics so I can have the flexibility to work on the more technical electronic side of things. And where do you see yourself going after you leave the university? Uh, or are you going to leave the university because they have a whole maintenance program here? <laughs> I would love to uh, work in military aviation. That, that is my dream. That has always been my dream, preferably for the uh, companies you never hear about, working on some of those projects that are so far advanced and complex, nobody knows about them. Ever since I saw my first wiring diagram or schematic, I just fell in love with that aspect of things, of making these little things work that when you combine them all into a big picture, it just flows. And the systems in some of the current you know fighter aircraft today are, are incredible. I mean, they, you know, systems that allow you to see through the aircraft in your heads-up display. That's where I want to be. That would be preferable. Now, have you guys in your programs, have you done a lot of uh, UAV-type learning with regard to unmanned vehicles, drones, and that kind of stuff, and the maintenance that's required in, in those types of uh, vehicles? So, yes and no. Our focus, especially with ALM, we learn about a lot of these systems that allow the aircraft to fly itself you know, Cat 3 autopilots that basically, you know, the aircraft will go so far as to land itself. So we have the technical knowledge and background to work on all of these systems, no matter what kind of aircraft it is, as, as was mentioned earlier, anything that is in the air or beyond the air, we have enough knowledge and familiarity to become specialized in that area. So while we don't specifically work with any UAV or un unmanned systems, we learn to a degree where we can easily be adapted to that as soon as we get into the industry. And getting into the military, given the fact that you are at a civilian university, is there, a, is there an opportunity to go back into military maintenance and, and pursue that particular dream? Hopefully one day there will be. There's some current setbacks with me as my medical situation prevents me from doing that. You know, we, we all got to deal with the cards we're dealt with. So, sure. But there's plenty of companies out there. For example, one of them is NAVAIR, Naval Air Systems Command. And, you know, they work right alongside with, you know, the guys in uniform working on the same aircraft. So, you know, options like that are always available. So hopefully one day military will be an option. But if it's not, won't be an issue. Yeah, NAVAIR is a very wide-ranging. Um, oh, yeah organization when i lived in virginia i was surrounded by people that worked for navia they had their at that time they had thousands of people that were in crystal city 
mm-hmm. which is just outside of Washington where I live. So my neighbors, on either side of me, my neighbors were both uh, employed by Navia. And, and I have a lot of friends separately now that's, that uh, worked, uh, just recently retired from Navia. So the opportunity there is, is uh, really tremendous. Yeah. And that is the cutting edge of, of a lot of the military programs. Yeah. Now, have you done a, an internship with your particular degree program? No, not yet. I kind of had the mentality of get in school, you know, do it, be here, be involved with campus. And then, you know, towards the end of my degree program, which is now is when I'm starting to look at all of these opportunities. Unfortunately, for what I'm looking at doing at, there's just not a lot of internship opportunity out there. You know, you don't, you can't really get an internship for a military style sure. work environment. So the potential for that wasn't really there in terms of my interest, which is, you know, okay, live and learn. But um after school, that's really where the where the opportunities open up. And one of the, the key questions I really wanted to ask as a student, given the programs that you're both in and the setbacks and, and the restrictions that we had with COVID and the fact that you couldn't do hands-on learning and training, how did you adapt to doing classes online every day? And now that I presume that you're back in class, the mentality, the difference between being able to hands-on touch that particular part, examine it, look at it, versus trying to learn these technical aspects online. So learning online is, is a very challenging thing to come to because you have a lot of people that can't learn that way. You have a lot of people that actually prefer learning that way. For us, we had a very good balance. Our lectures would all be videos online or, or interactive through Zoom meetings. And then we would have controlled lab environments. So where they still followed all, you know, the the safety precautions, but we could still come back to campus, you know, for certain slotted time in the day and do the physical labs. So we were fortunate enough to kind of do a hybrid of both where we still got the hands-on experience, just more of the lecture and the teaching side of things was online, which worked out really well. I feel like I got the same education. I had to do two semesters now through that. And I feel like I'm at the same education level. I really feel confident. So. Hey, how about you? I would have to agree with them. I, I personally like it. It gives me a little bit more time to do things elsewhere. Because like currently right now, I'm sitting a vice president for our local club, which is the Society of Aerospace Technicians. So that gives me enough time to be able to not only rewrite our constitution, but come up with better ideas, new projects for our students. It also gives me a chance to work. Because right now, being a full-time student, being also a student that lives off campus, you had to have that extra money to provide, to be able to have gas money, to be able to eat here. You got to have the extra, you know, dough. So like I currently work two jobs and having that online class gives me enough time to be able to do everything I need to do to make sure I have a better success here at Embry-Riddle. So that's, that has been a difficult part. I mean, I've got a son in college and even though he's in the business program, he really preferred being in class. One, it minimizes distractions um, so he can concentrate and focus. And he didn't really need to be hands-on other than to do group projects. But I've talked to a number of, of different students, and like you were talking about, Noah, you know, some people love it, others hate it. You yeah. know, there was really no in-between. And a lot of people kind of looked at it as, well, my college experience 
just went out the window because I wasn't able to be on campus, wasn't able to be in class with friends and, and that kind of thing. So it's good to hear that you, you at least think that you've got the same level of education because a lot of people don't think that. There's been a lot of criticism about that type of learning. Yeah, what, I teach at Vaughn College up in New York City, and the students all are anxious to get back into class. Even though for the last year, all the classes have been online, Zoom classes. And just today, just this morning, we asked that question of one class, and every one of them said they want to come back. Although they like the flexibility of Zoom, they could do it from anywhere. You know, life gets in the way of class sometimes, or vice versa. But uh, they want to get back in the class. So there is something about being together. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I, I will say, though, one of, my, one of the amazing professors here, Mr. Lacey, he, he was one of my professors during this hybrid training, and he told me, he said, you know, in aviation, every problem is an opportunity to succeed. You, you have a factor you can't control. You simply have to find a way to succeed, go about it, move about your day. You know, don't cry over spilled milk. Get what you need to get done. And is it a preferred way to learn online? No, but at the end of the day, we're still getting our training so we can be, you know, ready. And, and I think that's great advice because you have to be flexible and adaptable as the human. Because every day something's going to be thrown that gets in your way and nothing is ever linear in life. And I think that's great advice because if you can handle the adversity now, and that's what I try to teach my son, is if you can handle this as adversity, then going forward yeah. should be real easy because you already, you already understand it. You can't change history, but you can at least change the future and adapt to what, what's coming down the pipe for as long as you need to. And, you know, aviation is always like that. It's so dynamic. Things are changing all the time. So I think that's great advice. One of the things that we, we are trying to do is reach out to people that are thinking about aviation who don't believe, like you, Taya, that, hey, look, I didn't know that that existed until late in your high school career. What kind of advice do you give young people, young people being somebody that's in junior high or high school, that they had that passing thought but figured that they weren't in a position to pursue it? How would you encourage people to check that out and then find a pathway, whether it's on the maintenance side or the flight side or the business side or whatever, give them a pathway, you know, tell them where to look. How, how do you encourage young people to do that and not wait till the last minute or regret not pursuing something because they didn't know it? One of the things that I can say that really helped me in my high school career was definitely STEM programs and, and engineering courses in high school. Uh, especially clubs like robotics. I mean, that, that was probably the highlight of my high school experience. Being able to get your hands on something early on and see if you like it is really the key. I know a lot of schools nowadays, especially with the you know evolving technology, not just in aviation, but in, in, in every work sector out there, get in there early. See if you like it. See, you know, do you like having your hands on the actual robot, you know, assembling the various components? Or are you one of the people that would rather be on the computer, you know, modeling or writing the software for that robot to execute commands. You know, I was always the guy that was, you know, tinkering with the actual thing. And then come to a great school like this and take a walk around. You know, right now with COVID, that's not really possible, but in the future it will be again. You know, take a look around. You walk into our aviation maintenance science building and you're surrounded with, you know, we have landing gear out of a commercial airliner sitting in our lobby, you know, and see, see if you like that stuff. 
and a- ask people. I mean, all of I know that all of us in AMS will be more than happy to give you an earful about how much fun it is every day. Yeah, I would have to agree with Noah. Find out early. I used to tell my friends, like, you got to go out and experience things. If you're not too sure, ask someone you know that works in that field. Hey, what's your day-to-day life like? You know, you don't know until you ask people. If you think you're in aviation, but you're not quite sure where you want to go in aviation, there's always air shows. Those are the best places you can get anybody who experienced. You get people who are pilots, mechanics, people who just taxi in. You got the ramp agents that are down there. You got every walks of life who breathe aviation at air shows. I know Embry-Riddle also has summer camps here. And you can always get hands-on experience there because they always do things with the kids. You just have to go out and ask. That's your biggest thing. If you know someone or you don't know someone who might be doing it, you can always watch YouTube videos. YouTube videos have been big in different career fields. I mean, I remember when I was going through like my oral questions or like trying to get myself prepped up for this. There was someone already, there was someone there. They told me how to study for oral questions. They told me what to look for. This is how they do it. There's always someone on YouTube, Google or anything that can help you. That's awesome. Now, Earlier, we had a guest on who's the department chair on the maintenance side of the house. Have either of you had any dealings with Eric Jones? Always. Good. We need need dirt. So is he really cracked up to be all he is? You know, I mean, he talked a good story on our podcast. Is he really that good? I think so. He's very fair, I will say. He definitely worked with us when we were going through COVID. I mean, I remember him having Zoom meetings just for us asking questions like, hey, when are we getting back to class? Because I know all of, everybody in AMS were holding their breath because when COVID first hit, they shut down our, our stuff. Yeah. We didn't get grades until after summer. And th- no grades means no financial aid. But Jones nope. is always like, we'll work with you guys. He just told us every day, we are trying our hardest to make sure you guys are back in class. And that's like one of the highlights because there's some, there's some people, faculty, who just, just look at the money at the end of the day. They don't really want to help you, but Jones was on top of it every day. You send you send him an email, he responds. You know, listening to you as students, just oogle and ogle about <laughs> Eric Jones. I guess he's going to have to pay you for all of those good comments. <laughs> we appreciate Eric. He, uh, he gave us some good discussion on our podcast. And it is good to get a student's perspective of somebody in a position like a department chair or a professor. Because, you know, a lot of times students will, you know, they, okay, it's great to hear your perspective about a program. But if you don't have good professors, you don't have receptive professors or, or at least department chairs that are willing to listen and willing to help, that can be a very discouraging thing to a student, especially if you don't any, get any response because it becomes a level of frustration. So we're very happy. And we know that Eric is sitting in listening to your comments. So that was just a baited question. I had to ask it. So we appreciate that. And we appreciate both of you being on the show with us. Again, John and I appreciate the fact that, and I use that word appreciate too much, but we, we really look forward to having a, a younger audience get involved with our show because this is where there is a transference of information. John and I have kind of been there, done that. The guests that we have are already established in various professions, but we want to pass that on. I, I mean, I have a responsibility to this university because they gave me an opportunity, one, for an education, but two, for my career. 
they introduced me indirectly through an internship to the NTSB. And through that, I really fell in love with aviation and aviation safety. I was already into aviation before it, but this really solidified it. And I hear the passion in your voice because that's the passion I had coming through this university and then evolving into aviation safety through my opportunities at the NTSB and beyond. So it's great to hear both of you give that perspective. But we want, we're trying to share that enthusiasm with our audience because, again, there are, you know, people think of, of limited opportunities when, in fact, there aren't limits to those opportunities. Especially and, today, you, you guys are in a wonderful position because not only do we have an air carrier transportation system that is growing, general aviation is also growing around the world because it used to be pretty well just focused in the U.S., but you also have now the urban mobility, the drones for doing all sorts of work. Real estate people are using drones to sell houses. Contractors are using drones to do aerial surveys of construction sites, which used to cost thousands and thousands of dollars with helicopters. Now they're doing it in, a, in, a, in an afternoon with a drone, surveying all the, all the materials. And it just, just boggles your mind how far that's going. And let's not forget SpaceX and the rest with the travel. That's going to open up like crazy. You know, Musk is talking about going to Mars. Well, who's going to fix the stuff on Mars? <laughs> right? We're going to send a lot of stuff up there. Who's going to fix it? Yeah. All right? It's just the opportunities are tremendous. In my generation, many of my friends ended up chasing airplanes around the world. I did it. I mean, I, I've been over to the Middle East before people even knew what the Middle East was chasing broken airplanes. So, I mean, it's just so much opportunity out there. And the skills that you get are valuable, not only to aviation, but in all sorts of other places. You know, I said earlier about that some mechanics have gone to work for, for the railroad and some have gone to work for Disney World and uh, SeaWorld. And the list goes on and on because the skills that you get, the pneumatics, the vacuum, the electric and electronics, it's not a lot of people out there that have crossed those skill lines. So having a good basic knowledge in, in all those areas of aviation can reach out into all kinds of areas of, in industry. So it's really, it's really an unbelievable time. Well, again, we want to thank you for sharing your perspectives. We wish you the best. And of course, we've now made you friends of the show. So that means we can hunt you down and have you back on the show to talk about what you're doing in the future, where you are, where you're going. And of course, anytime we need a student perspective while you're here, we're going to call on you. So you can run, but you can't hide from the flight safety detectives, of course. So again, we really appreciate you being on the show today. And John, I know that we have one more guest that we're going to program into this. So I want you to at least sit there because I'm not going to give you the last word yet. I'm going to give you an interim word, and that is, hold on. Hold on. Good morning, John. The ground is Canadian 920. We're just coming up to Alpha Juliet. Hey, 920, runway 24. Well, one of the things I told you to do is hang on, and that's because I wanted to get another student. We were fortunate during the, the course of our day here at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona to talk to a variety of students. And one of the things I wanted to do while we were here is get a perspective. I've got a friend. He's become a very good friend who I've had. Uh, One of the few. Yeah, I know. I pay him. So, But he's a young man that uh, 
went through a, a flight training program before coming down to Embry-Riddle as a freshman. And now he's here. He's finishing up his second semester as a freshman in the uh, flight program. And I wanted to just give the audience a perspective, basically a day in the life of a freshman student here at Embry-Riddle who's in the flight program. So I want to introduce Tony Gallarani to not only our audience, but to you, John and Ken, because this is a young man that when I first met him, I knew he had potential, unlike people that have first met me and thought I didn't have potential. But Tony's been one of those types of people that you just know that you give them the direction, you give them the opportunity, they're going to take full advantage of and, and be successful at, at what they're doing. And I know that throughout my, <laughs> at least our relationship, you've had a little bit of a setback, but you've overcome that adversity to excel currently. So we want to welcome you, Tony, to the show. I know that hopefully I'll be doing all the questioning because these two mechanic guys I'm with, they really don't understand. So welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. One of the things that uh, that we've always talked about, uh, again, was how you chose to come to Embry-Riddle. A lot of the, the folks that we're trying to reach out to with our show, we're trying to educate them. And as a student who selected Embry-Riddle, along with his parents, you looked at a number of different schools, both locally in Colorado, because uh, you are from local area in Colorado, Arvada versus Golden, where I am. You went to a local high school that my son went to. But what was it that gave you the perspective of coming to Embry-Riddle versus other schools? And then we'll get into the day in the life of a freshman. Like a lot of other people that are my age that are kind of starting to look off at colleges, they look at them starting from like a broad kind of perspective of what do I want to go into? I knew very early on that I wanted to go into aviation. And so I just kind of looked at just your big aviation schools, Purdue, ASU, University of North Dakota. But one day I just got a little mail letter from a school called Embry-Riddle. I didn't know anything about it, but I know that there was an airplane on the front of the uh, letter. And so I was like, oh, well, this kind of looks like something that I'm interested in. Let me take a look at it. And I sat at the computer with my parents that night and we just looked at it and I was like, this looks really cool. It's an accredited aviation school. It's got everything that I'm looking for. I couldn't ask for anything else. And then it took a long time, a lot of convincing for my parents and I to kind of come to the decision that this is what I wanted to go to. I toured ASU, a bunch of local Colorado schools, and just realized that Embry-Riddle was where I wanted to be. And that's kind of how we went from there. Now, when you first came down here, I know you took the tour and, and got a, a feel for the university. What was it that kind of sealed the deal for you during that tour here? I definitely like the way that Embry-Riddle runs their programs. They're very upfront and open of what they're expected of you and what they will give you in return. There was a lot of professionalism that my family and I both agreed that we liked. They're very not particular about what they want, but they, they have expectations of students. And I know that their expectations as a school correlated to what I wanted to get out of a college as well. And so that was my big thing. I was like, okay, they have everything that I want and they're looking for everything that I know that I can give them. And so that was a big driving factor. We're going to break it up into pieces. What's the academic day like for you? So Embry-Riddle is not like a normal college. There's a lot of 
academics involved. A lot of my day revolves around my classes, my flight schedule, studying and training. You just get up in the morning, get ready for school. Most people take about five to six classes a year or a semester. And a lot of those are very hands-on, very involved in what you do. I know that there are some basic classes as a freshman, mm-hmm. um, but the flight-related classes, give me an idea of what flight-related classes you take in navigation, you take in human factors, flight safety. What kind of classes are you taking during the day? So typically the classes I've been taking throughout the day are all aviation-related. AS-121, that's like your private pilot course. The basics of how to be a pilot consists of how to fly an airplane, what an airplane is, what makes airplanes fly, like basic mechanics all the way up to aeromedical factors, different things and what could go wrong in an airplane, emergency scenarios, and how to handle and correct those. Another course that I took was the instrument flight course on how to fly under IFR conditions, learning how to be an instrument-rated pilot. And so all of my classes revolve around flying. And then you also are taking some business class. Uh, I guess that's a requirement. I am, yeah. Business class and things like that. Typically, is that every day or is that, you know, every other day with the academics, in-class academics? It's about every other day for me. I think I go to my business three days a week. That's one of my minors. So I'm pretty jazzed about doing that. And then with, uh, of course, COVID and, and having to learn through Zoom, we had other guests on the podcast talking about that. How has learning online been for you? with regard to this aviation since you're on the flight side and the flight program? So in the early days, I really didn't like it. It was difficult for me to kind of track at first, but then I kind of realized that, sure, I may not be in person, but also comes with advantages that all in-person classes don't have in that I have more time to study, I have more time to devote to what I'm learning. And so I actually ended up really liking it in the end. It was beneficial because I could do more with my time I get more done in a day than I could if I had just all in-person classes. And then switching over now to the flight side, give me a day when you have a flight, you know, what it's like to, to check in. I mean, when I was here, it's a whole lot different than it is now. So how structured and, and really walk through from the time you walk in the door to you get in the airplane and then when you finish flying for the day. So a day for a flight student typically actually starts about 24 hours prior to your flight. So you're looking at your weather, looking at any maintenance records that come along with the planes, looking at your lesson plans for the day, studying on what you have to do, whether or not you're doing short field takeoffs and landings versus soft field. And we have a list of things that we can go through. And so you kind of start building your flight plans a day prior and builds into your day that you go out and fly. Typically, you arrive at the flight ops building about an hour before your flight to do your pre-flight, to do your briefings, to go through any other additional maintenance records for the aircraft. And then you will brief with your instructor, hey, this is what we're doing today. They'll run you through everything. That way you know what's expected of you. And then you'll actually go out and fly and do those things. And you will put what you talk about in orals. You will put those things into action in the flights, which is very helpful for me as somebody who's very structured and know exactly what is expected of me every single day. And then when you come back, you debrief with your flight instructor? Yep. So a debrief coming back usually takes about 
20 minutes to half an hour, you talk about everything that happened start to finish in the flight. Uh, it's basically like a giant overview of everything, what you could work on, what went well, what was all right, could use a little bit of tweaking. So it's really, really helpful. Do you get a lot of emphasis on, uh, you were talking about, you know, examining maintenance records and stuff. Mm -hmm. And since unfortunately my co-host happens to be some sort of mechanic of some sort, I don't know. I mean, he calls himself a mechanic. And of course, we got a friend of the show with us today as well, Ken, who happens to be some sort of mechanic, just like John. What kind of emphasis does the flight department and your flight instructor put on reviewing maintenance records and the airworthiness of the aircraft? So that's actually what a lot of our pre-flight has to do with a good hour-ish has to do with looking at anything that was recorded in the past, anything down to a dent to a crack. It could be anything. We are given a diagram of the aircraft that talks about where every defect, where every maintenance, whatever was done to the aircraft, where it was done. Then we go out and verify, okay, this is no longer an issue with the aircraft. Our aircraft is airworthy. It will be safe to complete our flight. And then if there's any issues that we notice within the aircraft that hasn't been documented yet, we will actually go in and document it and it will get sent to maintenance and they will put it into their records for the next student. So it's very, it's a very well-structured system with a lot of emphasis on safety. I am not worried at all to fly any riddle aircraft. One of the things that I have on my radar for a while now was to walk around, pre-flight walk around. What have they taught you here about pre-flighting? So they've taught me, I came in with a lot of flight time from a prior school and they completely re-taught me how to do the pre-flight up to how Embry-Riddle expects us to do it. They will have you pre-flight every single component of the aircraft. It's very particular. We have a specific flow that we have to follow that hits everything that you could possibly think of. We'll inspect anything from oleo struts to lights to whether or not the bonding straps are frayed, anything, caps for the fuel if they're loose, like anything and everything they will have us inspect to make sure that our flights are safe. One of the reasons why I've been focusing on this with this podcast is I've spent uh, the last uh, 10 years or so sitting at a, in an FBO, General Aviation Airport, and uh, sitting on the second floor looking out the window. And I see pre-flights where guys will come out to the airplane and they'll walk around. And that's exactly what they'll do. They'll walk around looking at blue sky and looking at uh, whatever else except the airplane. And I see many, many students not touching the airplane, not moving the flight controls, or moving them so quickly that uh, you miss the point of what you're trying to do. You're trying to feel if there's anything wrong. Is it different? Is it feeling different before? Any roughness because bearings are failing. I mean, there's so many things that are involved, and yet I see pilots just not focusing on that. So I'm, I'm impressed to hear that they're really putting that into your head, that it's important that you do a, a good pre-flight. Here's the money question for you. Do you love it? Absolutely. Would not want to be anywhere else. This is exactly where I want to be, and I wake up every single day happy and excited to be here. Happy and excited to be here in Daytona Beach and not in Colorado where it's snowing right now. That's, I know, your happiness. Absolutely. There you go. Tony, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for giving us your perspective. And again, we want to thank Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, home of the Eagles, and of course, my alma mater for hosting us today and giving us the opportunity to, uh, to do a, a great series of podcasts, John, with students and faculty and really opening up, I think, at least our listeners' eyes to 
one, of course, what the, the university is all about and, and what they're trying to accomplish as far as giving an education and training to our future aviation professionals. But two, I think the bigger thing is hopefully our younger audience gets a perspective and rethinks about, well, that I, I'm not in a position for that opportunity, but now they really are listening to our show. Yes. And it's, uh, you know, I'm excited about the idea of just reaching out to younger people and trying to get them engaged, whether it is a high schooler that we need to bring into the business or somebody that's just coming into the business and helping them understand that the future is really wide open. Yeah. I mean, it is just, you know, we've heard for years and years, the sky's the limit in aviation, but I'll tell you what, the sky just got a lot bigger and the opportunities got a lot bigger as well. Well, John, I just want to say that uh, this has been a great couple of days at Embry-Riddle, definitely talking to students, and we really appreciate the faculty accommodating us and, and being guests on our show. Again, we try to bring a little bit of a different flavor of aviation through the podcast, John and I. We are the masters of disaster, unfortunately, when we talk about aircraft accidents and, and aviation safety, and so we try to balance that with some of the positive. And I can't think of a better place to come up with positive aviation than Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. The students here are fantastic. The ones that we've interviewed, I thought were outstanding. They have a bright future ahead of them. They have what it takes, that character, that integrity, and most of all, that passion, John. And I think that that really came out and it wasn't forced because they were on the podcast, they just really appreciated the fact that we're here and they wanted to tell their respective stories. Oh, when we walk around and they see us and recognize us, you see the enthusiasm come to life. You know, I wish I had the energy, all these young kids, and the knowledge. They're starting out at a, at a great place in life, at a great time in this industry, because it's certainly coming back. I mean, the flights that I've been on recently have all been 100% full. Yep. No, it's it's great, man. And again, you and I have had the opportunity to engage with these students and have conversations. And it's just, it's really great to see. I hope that anybody that's out there that's listening, whether they are parents or young people, you know, really start to look back into the sky because aviation aerospace is heading only upward pardon the pun. Yeah. And, and there are just unbelievable and unlimited opportunities for different levels of students and what they want to do in aviation and aerospace. Some people want to build it. Some people want to fly it. Some people want to fix it. That's all awesome. And don't think that you can't do any of those things because if you put your mind to it and you have the passion, you will do it. You know, I, I love the passion that that young lady we just had on in the maintenance program had for maintaining airplanes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It really makes you feel good. And again, yep. And again, I want to thank Embry-Riddle on behalf of both myself and John for arranging this and, and putting up with both of us on campus, accommodating us and 
enlightening us with uh, what's happening. And we're looking forward to having the president of the university on a future show, again, to talk about the vision, not only of Embry-Riddle, but of aerospace education in general. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have him on in the very near future. And speaking of people, I think, John, that by the time this show airs, it will be about a week or so before the birthday of a very famous maintenance person who I know that uh, you know his history very well, and you are one of the recipients of the award that's in his name, and that is Charles Taylor. And I know that the show that we are putting together for that with the people that we're going to have to talk about the Charles Taylor Award and who Charles Taylor was, I think is going to be outstanding. I think that the listeners will really appreciate and get a better understanding of really, I mean, I always look at you as the godfather of maintenance, you know, safety management, if you will. But this guy is the godfather of maintenance. And I'm looking forward to doing that show. Uh, He was the first aircraft mechanic and he, he built an engine from scratch. He was unbelievably talented individual. So, like you said, his name was Charles Taylor, and we have a, uh, it's not a holiday, but it's a national day of recognition on May 24th, which is his birthday. And we were planning on a show just for Charlie Taylor on that day. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great show, and I think our listeners are really going to get a very good understanding. You and I have talked about it in the past, John, that maintenance always is in the shadows the maintenance technicians, the folks that really work on not only the aircraft in toto, but component parts and those kinds of things, that's very skillful labor. And it takes not only a little bit of brawn when you're muscling around big parts and and all that kind of stuff, but it takes a lot of brains. It takes creativity. It takes thinking out of the box. And Charles Taylor, I think, represents all of those things based on the education you've given me about him. Yeah, he really did. He was a unique individual. So we'll have a long discussion, actually, about him at the for his birthday. Well, great. Well, again, we want to thank our listeners, as always, because uh, you are the ones that keep us motivated and drive us forward with your comments, your suggestions, and we always appreciate that. So keep them coming at our email address of flight safety detectives with an s at gmail.com and again john and i try to get back to everybody we a lot of times use the suggestions for topics on the show so again we we appreciate you the listeners and we also appreciate those of you who have donated to the show to help us offset the cost of producing this show you are all very valuable in that regard and, and we greatly appreciate it in conjunction with our sponsors of PAMA and of EMCO Insurance. And John, I I can't say enough about those sponsors. Um, They've been behind us. Uh, We we greatly appreciate their contributions and of course our listeners' contributions to to keep us moving forward. So if uh, if you're in, in the need for aircraft insurance, flight instructor insurance, renter's insurance, any kind of aviation related insurance, definitely check out Avemco Insurance. You can either contact them via their website, avemco.com, or 
you can contact them by a telephone. And John, that number is? 888-879-0389. Again, 888-879-0389. Man, you're good at that. You're getting really, you're getting really proficient at that phone number. Yeah, I, I have it written down. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, again, it's been great traveling with you down to Florida and uh, you know, we're going to be able to uh, say that we went to sun and fun right after the pandemic. And now we're, we're starting to get back into that uh, air show season. So I'm really looking forward to that and uh, hitting Oshkosh and hopefully doing it together so that we could do more podcasts together because it is always fun traveling with you. Actually, it's very entertaining for me just watching you work. So and actually, it's entertaining for me for the very reason that. I get to watch you actually do some work. So <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sitting here smiling because in my little office here, I have a wall full of pictures, and I have a great big picture of a strike commander, Bob Hoover. Yeah, I remember well the day you and I went flying with him. Why, yes, we did, and you actually did a little more flying while we were flying than I did. That's true. I do recall an event where a seatbelt just happened to come off and the airplane just happened to be in a zero-G maneuver. And that was quite entertaining. I loved every minute of it. He made me weightless, which was the best and which was quickest diet I've ever been on. <laughs> oh, man, that was a lot of fun. It was. That, that man I could sure fly. Miss Bob. I do miss Bob. Well, John, again, it, it's been a pleasure traveling with you to close out the show. As I always do, I will leave you with the last words. To all our listeners out there, we're not quite out of this pandemic yet. I mean, the numbers are, are climbing now at a pretty good clip for people that are vaccinated. And they're talking about lifting restrictions. But please, don't gather in groups indoors. Wash your hands often often during out throughout the day keep your hands away from your face and if we all mind our p's and q's we'll be out of this sooner rather than later and if you are going to fly and you haven't flown in a while try to find somebody that has flown to fly with you do an adequate pre-planning for your flight do a thorough walk around your airplane and we're going to have a program dedicated to that in the not too distant future do a good walk around of your airplane, and please fly safely. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.